Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm here with Joel Nayum, and we're sitting across from Bernie Shakeshaft, the author of Back on Track. Welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in, Bernie. Not quite the author. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good place to start. Uh, yep. to, well, before we get to the actual book, why don't we start with why the book exists and what you know what what it's about? Um, what is Backtrack, and what do you guys do? Uh, look, 13 years ago, uh, I could see a big gap in the system working with some really busted kids, you know. We were supposed to do this job to get these kids' work ready. We got to the end of the time frame, and I thought, crikey, none of these kids are work ready. So what are you doing if we have a look at what we're doing in society with programs is you're supposed to kick those kids out and start with another batch. Uh, I think I learned very early on in my working career that if you're going to start a job, then you bloody well finish it. Uh, and I could see that wasn't started. So uh, just per chance, uh, I had this, and I was at a Christmas party with this fellow, and I said, look, all we need to sort this problem out is a shed. A week later, I get a phone call from this guy. Uh, Do you remember me, uh, Kevin, on the CEO of the Regional Australia Bank? And I went, uh, sort of. He said, I've got the keys to this shed. So there we were in 2006 with all these kids, keys to a busted old shed, uh, no business plan, no funding. <laughs> Uh, we just started showing up, and from there, Backtrack's gone on to be enormously successful in working with 5% of kids that nobody else can find solutions for. So your standard kid, uh, he's usually kicked out of school, he's been in trouble with the cops. Uh, a lot of the kids are, you know, from really quite broken families, mm. uh, and not much uh, sunshine on the horizon for those kids, so that's where we start, that's the start-up team. Absolutely. It's an it's amazing program. And so what, what does the program sort of involve? What do you guys do differently that you think other other organisations that do this kind of thing don't do? Uh, look, there's probably lots of different things, certainly involving the dogs. You know, we keep 30 working dogs. They're a big part of what we do. But why does it work? You know, we've got a classroom. We teach kids practical skills, you know, how to use chainsaws and how to weld and carpentry and all sorts of bits and pieces. Uh, but... The, the one point of difference is we're a holistic program, yeah? So if we were just to get funds from the education department, then all they care about is teaching kids to read and write, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that kid's got to go to court next week or he's living in a domestic violence, uh, you know, situation or he doesn't have somewhere to sleep, doesn't have a roof over his head at night, uh, don't worry about reading and writing until you've got somewhere safe to sleep at night. And uh, that old school fellow Maslow pointed out a long time ago, you know, mm-hmm. safety and shelter first, and then we go through all the other steps. So when we get that right, and, and that's what we do, is whatever needs to happen for that kid, we make that happen, and then we hang in for the long term. So there are very few programs you'll find in Australia that hang in for the long haul. Most things are in 16 or 26-week blocks or a six-month block. And if, if you haven't got the job finished by then, you've got to kick them out and start again with another batch. Um, it's a problem. You know, when we kicked off uh, years ago, we were dealing with 16 and 17-year-olds. Now we're getting 10 and 11-year-olds come through, and the numbers of them are absolutely alarming. So a kid not making the transition from primary school to high school, what the hell do we think is going to happen and where is that going to end up? Yeah, man, that is awful. And... Do you find helping those kids who are a bit younger is easier? 
Oh, look, the earlier you get them before there's been too much trauma, certainly the easier it kind of gets, but mm. uh, the problems are actually coming through more complex than what they were. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the addition of all sorts of drugs and look at mental health stuff just going bananas through the roof. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, it's another good example, mental health. Uh, if we just concentrate on mental health and not the kids reading and writing or where's he sleeping at night, of course a kid... If he's sleeping under the bridge in town, he's going to have mental health issues or if he's living in a crazy, violent kind of household, you know, of course there's going to be mental health issues. But seeing a counsellor five or six times is not going to solve that unless we find somewhere safe for him to sleep and find some sort of meaning in his life and something to chase him or her, uh, then it won't work. Yeah. Oh, that's just an amazing... It's just an amazing organisation. So I guess um, the book... That's why we're here. Um, how did you come back to make the book? Oh, I guess the book came to me, really. Yeah. And, uh, in a moment, I just kind of went, oh, yeah, let's do that. That seems like a good idea. Uh, it was sort of 12 months down the track that I started going, boy, this is bigger than what I kind of thought, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's pretty hard to capture what we do, you know? Um, but James Knight, an extraordinary man. I think there are very few people uh, that could have actually written that book and come out of it. One trying to uh, pin me down would be tough enough on its own. <laughs> but then when we start trying to interview kids and all sorts of stuff and hanging around and trying to make sense of it, uh, extraordinary human being, James. And, um, you know, I think having had spent time in Gunnedah, which is where James uh, is from, yep. um, you know, he's a bush kid and I'm a bush kid and we kind of... Uh, I never really felt like it was being interviewed for a book was um, just kind of like catching up. He says up that in the introduction that he felt <laughs> like it. He didn't want to stop you from talking. He just wanted to let you t- tell your stories, and it really reads that way. Okay. That there's this just a yarn that slowly yeah. un, un, unspins, but he keeps the structure in it by having by going and talking to everyone else around you. Not yeah. just it's not just your story. Yeah. You know, he talks to your mum and dad. He talks to people that you worked with when you were a kid. He talks to the kids that you work with now. It's like it's this really holistic yeah. um, way of capturing the whole the yeah. story of Backtrack, which I think is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you set out to do it that way or was it James's idea or how did that go? Oh, look, it wasn't until a few months ago really that I even realised it was a book, you know. It was kind yeah. of like, oh, yeah, here comes James again, whatever. We're chatting about today. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, when I started to read parts of it, I went, oh, it's a pretty unique kind of style as well that he yeah. that he has. Uh, but um, watching him around the boys and the different people, uh, backtracks about pretty genuine people. Mm. Uh, James was quick to join that family. Absolutely. That's mm. great. So there's a lot, the first part of this book, a big part of this book is your personal story and how you came to be the person who's doing this for these boys, uh, not just boys, these, these kids. Yep. Um, and it's a fascinating story, much more fascinating than I expected it to be, to be honest. I was shocked by some of the stuff that you've done in your life. Um, and I mean, one of the first bits that I was just completely blown away by was that the story of you going to Calcutta. Mm. Um, as a kid, as a little kid, pretty yeah. pretty little. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, look, uh, you know, I was toughing it out at school. Uh, this loving family, and but 
the school thing, I just didn't get, I wasn't much good at reading and writing mm. and I learnt very quickly, which is why I can empathise with a lot of these boys. Uh, it's way safer to be seen to be bad than it is to be seen to be dumb, you know? So I think I was going through that and like a lot of teenage kids, like, what's your direction? Uh, I look back in hindsight now and I learnt so much from those times, you know? We don't ever ask kids, now, what do you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to do when you finish school, you know? Because it's too big, you don't kind of get it, you know? So we concentrate on other things, and I think that was that time in Calcutta where I started really learning some of that stuff, you know. Um, it's more important to be happy, you know. So the stuff when we talk about kids is you want to be happy, you want to have people in your life that love you and that you love, you know. You want to have enough money to get by. When we start from that point, you can't kind of fail, because if you start off with, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a school teacher, mm. somewhere in the subconscious, if you don't become a fireman or a school teacher, you fail. And I think these kids have had that over and over and over, a dripping tap of fail. So we just changed the language on that. And I think part of those times, you know, uh, well, I must have been 16 or 17, I think, yep. when I went to India. I don't know that I'd even heard of Mother Teresa. Um, and we were travelling around with a group of guys. Uh, the school chaplain, amazing man, Father Liam Horsbull. Um, he's passed away now. Mm. But he used to take groups of old boys from Maris Brothers and some of the um, young fellows, you know. Uh, and it was the community that kicked in and made it possible financially for mum and dad to be able to send me. Yeah. Got over there and just went, whoa, what is this? You know, I thought my life was a bit tough because things weren't going well at school and I was in a bit of trouble for this and that. And yeah. But then getting to a third world country, I think everyone in Australia should go and have a visit because uh, it's, yeah. it's mind-boggling. And then... That opportunity, so the older guys went up and did some sightseeing while we went with Father Liam to Calcutta and took us to this little place and we sat up in this tiny little room and the noise of India is just extraordinary, you know, and the heat. So I think I'd have to be honest and say I couldn't really hear any word that she said, but the presence of that lady was just... You have to be in awe of it. It was just... A, yeah. And I think we all kind of walked out a little bit stunned. And then we um, had a couple of days there working, helping out. And, uh, you know, when we talk about a hospital in Australia, well, you've got to see a hospital in Calcutta. And it's the hospital for people dying. Um, it was a very touching, moving time, you know. And I don't think that I came back and, oh, life was all, well, I had this moment. But like all things, you know, I just kept building. And now when I think back about those times and... Yeah. But holding the hand of that little kid as he died... That was, was such a age. sad story. I just, I travelled in India myself years ago and had nothing like that experience, mm. but the experience of coming across people who are like profoundly unwell and you know are sick and going to die, yeah. and they're just on the street. And it's such a, it's a bit of a shaming experience for yeah. for a, a kid from a yeah. background of privilege. And yes, that's right. You sort of think you've got it a bit tough, <laughs> particularly when you're young. <laughs> Uh, and so even though your experience was much more extreme than mine, I really empathize with that, that sense of mm. like realizing where you sit in the hierarchy of things. I thought that was an amazing story. Oh, and as you say, you know, that moment for me was you think you got it tough. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Wake up and have a look, mate. You know, don't yeah. forget to smell the roses each day because... Um, yeah, and then I, I thought it was also then really realistic for James to have captured that sense that you... That, that didn't change everything. 
yeah, you had this yeah. amazing experience and it's a layer of, yeah. of your personality yeah. and what led you onwards from there. But you know, that wasn't it. No. So I guess one of the things that comes back again, the two things that came back again and again in the early part of the book for me were, um, your need to be moving <laughs> and to be doing stuff that yeah. was moving you and this sort of death wish you had to keep doing things that were probably just going to kill you eventually. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk a bit to those two, two points. Yeah, look, I guess if you don't know what you're doing or you don't feel understood or... Um, I think it's why we're so good at putting... You know, adult men around these kids that are probably about a hundred times wilder than I ever was. Mm. I was probably more consistent over a long period of time, but I just had this "I don't really care" attitude. You know, yeah. Um, when you're living it in the moment, you don't notice it so much. Yeah. Um, but boy, if I was a cat, I must have nine lives over and over <laughs> and over and over and over again. You know. But I think it was a way of, you know, from smashing cars or busting up on horses or um, was it a way of trying to deal with something where you don't know where you're going or, you know, what your hopes and dreams are? Yeah. Uh, And it it brings it back to to what we do because I was one of those kids, you know. And um, I heard one of the um, girls that works for us, she's on a training ship now, and she said not long ago... um, I want to be the sort of person that I needed when I was growing up, you know. That's what she wants to be. Well, that's the person amazing. That she needed. And to get that from a teenager, I just go, wow. Just yeah. listening to those kids. Absolutely. Mm. And it did feel like you basically road tested every form of how to rehabilitate a crazed yep. teenage boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you with no fear of anything. Them. You know, like you've... They feel like they can relate to that yeah. level of experience and relatability yeah. that you have. It's really yeah. impressive. But don't judge them. No. And, um, you know, we've got sayings down there, you know. It's easy to see the shit in these kids' lives, but some of the things we concentrate on as youth workers down there is to look for the gold because you mm. can see the garbage. But when you can see that good little flicker and concentrate on that, mm. and I think as a teenager personally, nobody was going to be able to see that flicker. Oh, I'm going to have any of that. Where's the gold? There is no gold. I'm just wild and crazy. And yet you did have these this succession of mostly blokes who sort of did recognise something in you. Absolutely. And it felt to me, reading it, like they saved your life each time at a different point in your life. Um, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about some of them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them, so I don't want to... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, they were always around, and if I look back now, you know, with hindsight, you can be pretty clever, can't you, you know? Yeah. Uh, but my Uncle Brian or whatever that I looked up to that could just have that rough and grueling four-wheel drivey kind of experience with me, you know, through the, uh, you know, Paul Roots' in mm. book as well that took me in. And, you know, when I look back at those things, because I knew it, knew it all, you know, and when he said, oh, can you, do you know anything about doing this? Of course I do. You know, we still laugh. He's still got the <laughs> sheet panels up there, that the welding, you know. Oh, shameful. <laughs> but he never judged. And they hung in, and when I look at what I was doing in those times, how the hell could they not have judged? Mm. So just those lessons, and um, on and on they gone, and, and still I have those older male role models in my life and females but um, that I look up to and I go, you know, I'm still learning. I'm learning as much today in my 50s as 
I was when I was 17. Absolutely. But to be able to put those things in place for kids, to keep them alive and to keep them out of jail, um, they're the things that work and they're human interactions. Yeah. Uh, and what do they cost? Nothing really. You know? Just your time and... Time. The, the, fact, that you, the fact that you care. Yeah. Mm. Care. Yeah. And that was the thing that kept coming back in the story. Um, you know, that you could be a rat bag, but you stuck up for kids and you didn't let smaller kids or weirder kids get pushed around by other people. Um, do you remember that being a conscious thing or was that just part of who you were? It wasn't a conscious thing, but it was an absolute thing. Mm. Toughest fight I ever had at school was against one of my best mates, you know, bullying some other kid. And I went, I was always on about, that's not the right thing to do. Mm. I don't know where you get that from. Was it from your parents growing up or is it something, but it's always been a... Mm. a solid thing in me about injustice stuff I just don't like it you know and um, whether it's bullies or racism or you know yeah uh, judgment of people that just I don't know I just is that a lifetime of collecting those things but there was certainly a, a strain in me that was there from from day one you know? yeah it did feel like that mm. um yeah I, I mean I feel like we could talk about this I don't know how to even um encompass this book is such an interesting read and it's such an amazing organization i guess my only question at the very end of it all was after all that do you feel like a lucky man <laughs> um yeah uh definitely been been lucky <laughs> still lucky to be alive lucky to have a great big organization that everybody said no that's not possible but um, I don't feel like we've even started warming up yet. You know, um, this stuff is so easy and so basic with what we do. And I want to see it in every um, town in Australia. You know, I think there are some fundamental things that we can do that will make life and how we work collectively as a group of human beings together. Uh, I think they're simple things, and it's not about money. You know, yeah. that's about the right thing to do. And. Um, I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep being driven by that. And, um, That's fantastic to hear and I hope, I wish you every success with, with the organisation and with the book too. Terrific. Um, so thanks so much for coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back on Track is available from Booktopia and proceeds from every sale are going to the Back Track organisation. Um, thanks for joining us. Terrific. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.